usually on Sunday morning I like to sit back at Unley Park Baptist Church in the back row and just relax. But circumstances have forced me to, uh, again, speak. I, I, I usually tell people I'm a, a retired preacher, but I've come out of retirement today. Okay, so followers of Jesus. Um, when we follow him, we align ourselves with the biblical story of God found in, uh, in the Bibles, uh, in our Bibles, uh, the story of creation, um, God as creator, uh, the rebellion of human beings, uh, God not giving up on human beings, but, uh, but uh, making a covenant with Israel uh, through Abraham, uh, in whom all the families of the earth are to be blessed. But nothing much happens in the Old Testament. Uh, and the, uh, the Old Testament ends with a yearning for something better. And then Jesus comes along, his life, his teaching, uh, his death and his resurrection. And uh, then the Holy Spirit in the church. And finally, we have in the Bible the story of a new heaven and new earth, which we all long for. So that's the story of God. Over the next three weeks, uh, you've invited me for three weeks. That's, that's, this is going to be good. I want to take us back to the very beginning of this story of God, to the story of creation and fall. Now, uh, this morning I'd like to talk about uh, or talk through Genesis chapter 1 and with the question, who is the creator? Uh, next week I'd like to do Genesis chapter 2. Who is the Im image-bearing creature? And then Genesis chapter 3. What's gone wrong with the image-bearing creature? So we start at Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So what beginning is the writer talking about? The Big Bang? Well, certainly God was there and initiated that whole creation process. But what is he creating in Genesis chapter 1? As we read this section, we find that God is not beginning the structure of creation, but he is initiating the function of pre-existing materials, bringing order out of chaos. So verse 1 appears to be an introduction to the whole section of Genesis 1 right through to uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. So, so here's the statement I want us to start with, if we could have it, Darren. That Genesis 1 is not the record of the creation of physical matter, but a, a divine organization and assignment of the functions of that existing physical matter. That might seem a fairly radical statement. But when we look at verse 2 of uh, Genesis chapter 1, which says, 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the, uh, the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So God is starting with an existing creation that is chaotic, but is, but is bringing it into order by assigning functions. So we move on to verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Whoops. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So on the first day, God is assigning the function of time, separating the light of day from the darkness of night. Now, the first day is linked very closely with the fourth day when, uh, when you read through the whole chapter. Then on the fourth day, which is verses 14 to 19, the functionaries of time are described. The sun, the moon, and the stars. They allow time to be discerned by human beings. And so we read on in the passage. And God said, let there be light in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Now, notice the lights in the vault are not God's, as their near neighbours suggested, we have access to a whole lot of documents from the ancient Near East about creation. There are creation accounts that surrounded Israel. And um, they, they, uh, they often uh, thought of the lights uh, in the sky as being God's. But these are merely created objects that brought light and marked off days and seasons. So let's listen to the description of the second day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. So on the second day, we're introduced to a vault or a solid dome uh, with the 
which the ancients thought divided the rain-producing water above it from the water under the vault, which is the sea. So we're introduced to the function of weather and climate as God brings order out of chaos. Now, as I said, the second day is linked to the fifth day in our account. So the fifth day reveals how the water under the vault and the water above it are populated. We get down now to verse 20, 20, uh, yeah, verse 20. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great, sea, uh, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. We get down to the third day now in our bouncing around look at Genesis chapter 1. On the third day, we're introduced to the function of agriculture. So we've had time, weather and climate, and now agriculture. Verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with the seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And now we get down to the creatures involved in agriculture on the sixth day. And this is rather a lengthy reading but I still want to read it to you. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree 
that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then we get up to the seventh day. The chapter divisions are not really all that good because uh, in uh, chapter 2 and the first three verses really belong with chapter 1. So on the seventh day, God's work of making the world into his temple, creating order out of chaos by assigning functions, is complete. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done may God richly bless us as we reflect on this great passage of scripture this morning The movie Creation, here I've got the DVD. It's not a great movie. You, you, you can have it off me if you want to. It raises some interesting issues, though. It's about Charles, Charles Darwin and the tension that he felt over his scientific findings. Uh, and the Christian faith that he'd been brought up to believe. The movie was actually based on a book by Darwin's great-great-grandson. But at one particular point in the movie, Thomas Huxley, overwhelmed by the supposed implication of his friend's discoveries, exclaims, "'You've killed God!' Well, did Darwin kill God? I don't think so. The glee with which Huxley's naturalism, what do I mean by naturalism? Well, the belief that the universe came to be without any intervention from God. So the glee with which Huxley's naturalism has has just led to a crippling spiritual deadness and a diminishing of human life in the 150 years since Darwin's origin of the species. This philosophical evolutionism is a dead end. Of course, we in this day and age can't help asking the question, well, how did the earth begin? That's become inescapable in our time. It's right and proper that the modern investigator should collect scientific data, then develop and test hypotheses about the origin of the earth. Well, that impulse came from God, and historically the first scientists were Christians. But the original writer of Genesis 
inspired as he is by the Holy Spirit, so I believe. And his first hearers do not seem to be interested in, in the question that we are so interested in, how did the earth begin? Instead, the original writer, the inspired writer, answers the question, who brought order to a chaotic creation? Now, as I said earlier, we've got, uh, through archaeology, we have the creation accounts of nations that surrounded Israel. Everyone seemed to have a creation account. The clay tablets found have been deciphered and translated and can be read today. I don't suggest you do it because they're boring. Um, there's Enuma Elish, the Epic of Gilgamesh, etc., etc. Their myths about the activities of many gods will amuse us. But their storylines seem to have been familiar to our biblical writer who sometimes uses them in a modified way but subtly critiques their understanding of the gods. These creation myths were attempt to explain life as it was experienced by their readers. And the big question was, how can we find purpose and meaning in life? Now, over the next three weeks, that's a big question that I want to deal with. How do we find purpose and meaning in life? Because I think that comes out of these early chapters of Genesis. Life in early Israel raised the same questions of existence that was everywhere at the time. So it's no surprise that we find an account of creation first up in our Bibles. God's ordering of creation is a belief that will help us in our search for authentic existence today. So we ask this question, who is our creator? And the first answer I want to give today is that the creator is the sole sovereign initiator of all things. The nations that surrounded ancient Israel developed myths to explain how things began. So in the Babylonian myth, Enuma Elish, one god speared another and out of her belly flowed the earth. The world was created out of conflict between the gods. Amusing. According to this very same uh, Enuma Elish, the gods made humans to serve their needs. Humans were treated with indifference by these capricious gods. How different is the biblical picture from this confused story? Behind our passage is faith in a single, absolutely powerful being. According to John Walton, accountable to no one, dependent on no one, underived, totally autonomous. And so we read in our passage, and God said, let there be light, let there be a vault, let there be water under the sky, let there be vegetation on the land, lights in the, in the, in the vault, 
sea creatures, birds, land creatures, etc., etc. And it was so. His powerful word was sufficient to bring about this ordering out of chaos. Increasing order and definition comes out of the initial chaos. In our question to discover who we are, we inevitably ask, how can we know this powerful being in our experience of life? Worldly power is based on out-muscling others. And that's doomed. We can only access the true source of power when we come to the Creator, confessing our dependence on Him. You know, God said to Paul when he brought, uh, when he sought healing for an ailment, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness." Now, this principle seems to be a contradiction. But it was embodied when the Creator became perfect humanity in Jesus Christ. He chose the path of total dependence on His Father. And this led Him to death on a Roman cross. But His Father endorsed His decision by raising Him up. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Manifestations of creator power don't often hit the headlines, do they? But as we disown the power plays of the world and become servants in the world, the creator's power is unleashed all over again. I commend to you the stories of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Bishop Desmond Tutu, Billy Graham, and Queen Elizabeth II. I didn't intend to say anything about uh, Queen Elizabeth II, but this great and godly woman whose funeral we're going to, most of us are going to view tomorrow, um, is, is a powerful person uh, and, and, and her death is, is probably the biggest event of the 21st century so far you know that poor woman uh, worked for 70 and a half years right up to a few days before she died I worked for national pharmacies for 40 and a half years and I am humbled by that Seventy and a half years. Anyway, I didn't mean to say anything about Queen Elizabeth. To experience creator power, we must live in utter dependence on him and not on our own resources. So who is this creator? Secondly, the reliable creator. So... In our passage, we have repeated statements. God saw that it was good. And then, like a crescendo of a symphony, we read God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Is this 
merely a statement of the Creator's aesthetic pleasure at what he had made? I think it's a lot more than that. Each creative act was good because it was suitable for the purpose for which it was prepared. It fitted precisely into the Creator's overall scheme of things. It worked in the way it was intended. So the universe is ordered and reliable only because it is God's creation. Life does have meaning and purpose. I want to talk more about that next week. Despite some things we experience, there is a purpose because the Creator is faithful. He has made everything good, suitable for the purpose that it was prepared. Maybe we don't always see this purpose. Indeed, there's much that, is, that we can't understand, much that appears savage and senseless in life. For example, Job. Ever read the story of Job? It's well worth wading through those 42 chapters. He only came to a point of being able to cope with his suffering when he believed in the faithfulness of the Creator. Here's a quick rundown of his story. His ignorant, well-meaning mates stirred up his anger at God. Their conventional wisdom said that his suffering must be due to sin. But he knew that he had not sinned so much as to deserve his extreme suffering. He started to believe that God was unfair. He ranted and raved a lot in, the, in those chapters. Then in chapter 38, God came to him and greatly and gently rebuked him. Okay, Job, where were you when I made the world? Well, if you weren't there creating with me, perhaps you don't have all the answers. Why are you shaking your fist at me? So out of this, Job repented. He changed his mind. He accepted God's reliability as evidence in creation. His anger and doubt changed to trust and contentment. So, whether we're in prosperity or in adversity, when we know that this trustworthy God is in control of his universe, we have the same faith that leads to joy. Now, with the kids coming in, I realize that I've got to finish quick. <laughs> the statement, God saw that it was good, calls us to faith. A simple trust that everything, every experience we have in life belongs to a vast, ordered creation that we can't begin to understand. How liberating is that faith? Who is the creator? Who is our creator? Thirdly, I want to say, and most importantly of all, our creator seeks relationship. 
It's extremely significant that God met with Job out of the storm, it says. For God doesn't merely convince us of his power and faithfulness in creation. He comes to us as our friend, particularly when we are suffering. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, we read his statement, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Interpreters have sought all sorts of qualities that humans possess, like intelligence, free will ability to love, our religious strivings, etc., etc. But the image of God is not some human quality we possess. It's our relatedness to God. As Vesterman says, the Creator created a creature that corresponds to him, to whom he can speak, who can hear him. Humankind is created so that something can happen between God and humans. What a marvellous creator who seeks a personal relationship with each one of us. You see, God is no remote, disinterested being. He loves us enough to, to want to be with us and has charged us with being like him, also bringing order out of, crea- out of chaos. And so in uh, maybe next week, the week after... I'm going to talk about the environment. God created the universe and we were made to be uniquely related to the creator. We're highly significant to him. He is interested in the smallest detail of our lives, in our family life, in our work, in our social life, everything. And we discover the joy of life as we respond by seeking to relate all of life to God. God wants us to respond to him by praying without ceasing. So, friends, I just close with this thought because our kids are going to get restless very soon. Who am I? Right in the first chapter of the Bible, we find the only satisfying answer. We are creatures made to relate to our sovereign, reliable creator who became human in Jesus. Let's pray. We come to you, our creator, to thank you for revealing yourself to us. Right in that first chapter of the Bible, we thank you that you come to us as an all-powerful being, as a reliable creator, and as a friend to us. We thank you that as the pages of your word uh, are read, we discover more and more of these truths. Help us, Lord, to take all that we've heard this morning about your wonder into our week ahead. For we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to me.